Welcome to Punditocracy, Lawrence.com's politics and culture talk show, where we're proud to announce that the National Intelligence Estimate has named our show a cause celeb amongst radical Islamic jihadists. Yes, Punditocracy is now making more terrorists than it is eradicating. Boy, this is, this is just such an honor. We've worked so hard to get here. Oh, who to thank? Who to thank? Ah, oh, there's so many. My, my parents for believing that I had a genuine talent for instigating holy war. Uh, the great and powerful Allah, who let me crash on his couch when I was just an up-and-coming demagogue. Oh, uh, Pope Benedict. Can't forget Pope Benedict, whom I'd like to thank for making my job of inflaming Muslim sentiment just that much easier. I'd like to thank my agent, my personal trainer... Repressive Arab regimes, uh, Toby Keith. No, 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 no. Hold on. Uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Cannot blame Toby Keith. You misread that. It's the Iraq War that's actually creating more terrorists. You're wrong on all this. So punditocracy isn't creating more terrorists. I'm sure we're creating terrorists, but I think it may be a whole new breed of terrorists that we are creating. But but the national intelligence estimate. I I thought they said that. We were causing all of these terrorists. No, no, it's the Iraq War. Sorry, oh. Gavin. Ooh, this is a bit embarrassing. Uh, well, well, no, no, no. Do continue. What, what, uh, what else? Oh no, never mind. Uh, I didn't mean to crush your hopes <clears throat> and dreams. It's all right. There's by always... the way, I'm glad that you mentioned me and your little <laughs> thank you wish. <laughs> I was getting to that. You interrupted me. All right. You were uh, right after the National Intelligence Committee and. Uh, the Crusades. The Crusades. <laughs> but, uh, well, now that I've got some uh, jihadist egg on my face, let's talk about that national intelligence oh, estimate let's do. Uh, that has uh, named Iraq, the Iraq War, apparently, and not punditocracy. Not punditocracy. I'm <sighs> sure we're in there at some point, but it's, I, think we're I don't on, think it's the main I, I think we're on the short list. The short list? I th- there's always next year. We just got to lobby hard. Oh, God. Uh, but okay, I, fine. I, fine. The Iraq War is the celeb amongst I always radical knew. Islamic jihadists and is uh, causing more terrorism than I guess I know any. now why I hear those clicks on my phone at home. Yes. They've been listening. Again, keep dreaming, Aaron. Keep dreaming. There's always next year. But yes, the National Intelligence Estimate, uh, written by 16 top intelligence agencies within the Bush administration, was leaked to the press. And. The information that was leaked was not very rosy and was not in line with the Bush administration and the Republican parties in general line that we're fighting them over there so we don't have to fight them here. And, you know, the Iraq war is crucial to the war on terrorism. This estimate from Bush's own people has really sort of punctured that argument that it's, uh, it's, it's making us safer. It's crucial to the war on terrorism now. Now, yeah. (laughs) I don't think that it is wrong to say that now Iraq is the focal point on the war on terrorism, more so than Afghanistan. Because we've irreparably fucked up that country. Yeah, pretty much. And turned it into a recruiting poster. And as the National Intelligence Estimate Report says, quote, a cause celeb amongst uh, radical Islamists. What, yeah. So what's, yeah. What's, now what's, that we've gone in there, broken the country, and let chaos, civil war, and ethnic cleansing reign, uh, now yeah, it is a uh, central front on the war on terror. In fact, it is the and and Bush is sort of retroactively telling the truth now. <laughs> it is now <laughs> the central front on terrorism because 
we have made the world's largest recruitment poster for radical Islamists. And what I find interesting is that we knew that this was going to happen before we went into Iraq. We knew that there wasn't a strong connection between Iraq and al-Qaeda. In there fact, might, none. Well, there might have been. I mean, you know, there's some debate about this. There might have been a couple of meetings. But uh, look, just because there was a couple of meetings between a couple of al-Qaeda, you know, intelligence officers or something like that doesn't mean that Iraq was openly supporting al-Qaeda. In it, fact, it doesn't mean that. In and, fact, Saddam Hussein's regime was a secularist regime and despised the jihadists and the well, Muslim and a, fundamentalists because that was a threat to their power. Well, and Osama bin Laden, in some sense, despised Saddam Hussein. I mean, one of... Oh, they both Os- hated each other. Yeah, I mean, one of Osama bin Laden's major arguments against the United States is that we have permanent bases in Saudi Arabia, the Holy Land. Um, and who does he directly blame, in some sense, for us having bases in the Middle East? Saddam Hussein, because if Saddam Hussein hadn't have uh, invaded Kuwait in 1990, there wouldn't have been any need for the United States in the Middle East. So in some sense, there was actually sort of a burning hatred feud between the two. Yes, which again, I mean, as you said, all of this information was available to the administration before going in, well-documented. There were many, many dissenting voices to within the intelligence community saying that the link between Saddam and al-Qaeda was non-existent. The link between Saddam and September 11th specifically was, was never there. Nothing. There's no operational connection between these right. two regimes. They might ideologically both despise America, but at the same time, that as we said, they despise each other right. too. Right. And the only real terrorist – now, let's be fair, uh, Saddam Hussein was supporting in some sense, Hezbollah. Suicide bombers. Um, because families. he would give $20,000 to the families of all suicide bombers. But Hezbollah in the United States have never really technically clashed. I mean, now, um, not at least directly. Uh, but again, going back to this national intelligence well, estimate, the Bush administration is going ballistic. They're not really even disputing the – it's a nonpartisan estimate it's it's very cut and dry it's written in such a way that it's just a very sobering very grim outlook on the next five years in uh the uh, global terrorism theater does this come as a surprise to anybody that watches the news no i mean does anybody really think that we're preventing terrorism that in the has, war in Iraq. I mean, all you got to do is turn on CNN or even even Fox News for that sake, and all you got to do is see some of the footage that's coming out of Iraq, and it should paint a very clear picture that we are not winning the war over there, and we are not defeating the terrorists over there. Yeah, but this is the first time that we've had solid information from within the Bush administration. We we have sort of a ray of light coming from within the Bush administration that actually has a sensible, sane outlook on this. Not a pleasant one, but a rational one. And to have this come from Bush's own intelligence people is just very damaging to the Bush message that the war in Iraq is making us safer and the war in Iraq being uh, tied in with the war on terror in a larger sense is making us safer. Because not only does this estimate knock down the argument that things are going well in Iraq and that we're winning there, but uh, since Bush has tried so hard to link Iraq with the larger war on terror by saying that Iraq is producing more terrorists, the fact that Iraq is failing is also an indication, again, by their own rhetoric, that the war on terror is failing 
in a larger sense. Well, and let's not forget what's going on in Afghanistan right now. Yeah. I mean, that was really the first focal point in the war on terrorism, and that has now regressed back into sheer chaos. Yes, yes the war in Afghanistan, no, the sleeper hit. Well, there is no... There never really has been any sort of centralized government in Afghanistan. You have kind of a small government of Karzai. Who really There's has, Kabul. Yeah, who only has authority in Kabul. He doesn't really have authority anywhere else. It looks as if the Taliban is making a comeback. Uh, there's still al-Qaeda bases all over that country. Um, they've now gone into northern Pakistan. And, it seems and like northern the Pakistani Pakistan, government's fine yes. with that. <laughs> now it seems as if northern Pakistan is kind of almost part of Afghanistan in, in a way, and it's just it's a total mess. Yeah, and, and So speak- they're really losing both fronts. And then, of course, you have this ever-looming problem of Iran, and yeah. who knows what's going to happen there. <laughs> so. Who would have thought that the Iranian regime would seem like the stable one in the region at this point? <sighs> That's how bad things have gotten over there. But you mentioned well, Pakistan I've- and Afghanistan. I'd like to go back to the And this shouldn't be overlooked now either. The uh, Mushar- Pervez Musharraf has been touring the talk show circuit here in America, pimping his new book. That's it's right. on the Daily Show of all places. Did uh, you happen to see his press conference with uh, President Bush? No. I saw some highlights, but I didn't see the whole oh, thing. It was... It was great. <laughs> he, he promoted his book, I think, like three yeah. or four times. He and talk some smack, conference. and talk some smack on Hamid Karzai, I believe. And uh, Bush had to referee a dinner between the yes. two leaders. And he's such a diplomatic gentleman, George W. Bush. And I'm sure it went very well. Uh, but the Pakistani government's basically detente with the terrorists in northern Afghanistan with the Taliban and with al-Qaeda who are taking refuge in sort of a breakaway province of the Afghan-Pakistan border. The Musharraf regime has basically said, hey, as long as, you know, uh, keep the noise down over there, kids. (laughs) (laughs) You don't bother us, we won't bother you. So one of our biggest allies in the war on terror is basically providing safe haven for (laughs) More than likely Osama bin Laden himself. Well, I think it's a little more complicated than that. I mean, obviously Musharraf is looking after his own ass on this. Musharraf is a very progressive Muslim leader. Um, he has He's been a, a strong, military dictator. Well, he has been a strong ally on the war on terrorism. But you have to remember that a majority of people in his country will openly, openly support al-Qaeda, would vote for Osama bin Laden if they could. Uh, and Musharraf realizes that any sort of... He could lose power at any time if he looks like he is becoming too close to the United States and not allowing his own people to yeah. do their thing. Well, in he's the North. he's widely despised in his own country because he is so close with the Bush administration. And I have to wonder how him being on Good Morning America and Comedy Central is uh, going to help his perception in his own country well, as is a anybody Western in, toady. Is anybody in his own country? <laughs> corrupted by, by our decadent civilization and popular culture. Is anybody in his own country even going to know that he's making That's the, true. I doubt the they have cable. Circuit. I doubt they have I, cable in the rural mountainous regions of Pakistan. I doubt it, too. Dish Network, maybe. You can get that crap anywhere. But, you know, as I said, I think he's just trying to save his own ass. And he's trying to maintain power. And you also have to remember, too, that Pakistan has nuclear weapons. And if Musharraf (laughs) were to get ousted from power (laughs) and the wrong people did take over in Pakistan, it could be an absolute disaster for the United States. And 
Pakistan would have to become the focal point on the war on terrorism should al-Qaeda take over that country. And it is possible that that could happen sometime in the near future. Although that could be a blessing in disguise for the Bush administration supporters because what would hasten the rapture faster than a nuclear war in the Middle East? <laughs> it's, even, it's a win-win, really. We get rid of a bunch of Arabs and then Jesus comes back quicker. Well, then you throw in India into that whole yeah. mix, too, and then you got China right there and Russia to the north. But, but, but before, we get, wanna, before we get too geopolitical, go back to Iraq and this national intelligence estimate saying that Iraq is fomenting more terrorists than it is preventing. I don't think there's any debate in that. No, certainly not anymore. It's directly from the Bush administration's mouth. And so the argument now, and I almost agree with that, is it doesn't matter. Now we just now that we're there, we just got to make sure that we do it right. And you, you see Bush shying away from the stay the course rhetoric that he has been using. because you, That used to be the uh, Republican talking point, stay the course. We don't want to cut and run. They've stopped using those slogans now because they know that they have to provide a withdrawal plan or a, me, a redeployment plan. Uh, because it's just not tenable politically or militaristically for us to stay there. We just can't afford to do it anymore. <laughs> and we're not accomplishing anything while we're no, there. No, and we're not accomplishing anything. And they need a plan, and they haven't had a plan since day one. Yeah. And as I've always said, I may be a little naive, but I really truly believe that had we had a plan, not only, I mean, the military plan was brilliant going in. I mean, we were able to essentially invade and take over a country within a couple of weeks. The armed forces did their ad- job admirably? Yes, but there was absolutely no plan for reconstruction. There was no plan for anything that came after the military. No, invasion, and I'll tell you and what. And there was no exit strategy. And I will tell you and what. I do believe. I do believe that if we had a coherent plan for after the military strikes, Iraq might, just might, have worked, and we could we could potentially have seen Iraq right now that has somewhat of a functioning democracy and somewhat of a functioning economy and everything else. But the Bush administration will tell you, you no, know, that's that's an old debate. That's an old debate. We got to worry about what we're doing right it's now. It's not going to happen debate. right if now. They hadn't if they hadn't fucked it up at the very beginning, we might not have these problems. Right yeah, now. and the I reason mean, if you're going to if you're going to undertake the sort of project that they did in Iraq, you have to go in with not just a plan, but a brilliant plan. A plan that possibly, well, I don't know. Well, and and I'll tell you why they didn't have one. It was a conscious decision not to have one. In fact, Donald Rumsfeld commanded that there be no reconstruction plans, that there be no peacekeeping plans after the initial invasion. Because if you had those plans, that would be admitting that this would not have been a cakewalk. That would be admitting that the Iraqi people were not going to greet us by throwing uh, flowers and chocolates and Skittles at us. Uh, That would be admitting that this was going to take a larger investment than they had been promising us. There's uh, one former Bush administration official named uh, Andrew Natsios, who Bush just named as his special envoy envoy for the uh, Darfur genocide. His probably greatest claim while in office was stating unequivocally on Nightline that the war in Iraq would only cost $1.5 billion. That's it. (laughs) It's it's, uh, pushing a trillion now, I think. Uh, But... Yeah, but well, that's why that's why we had no plans because that would be admitting that 
the effort will require more of us than just toppling Saddam and then letting democracy magically flower and sprout up like a hallucinogenic mushroom that everyone else in the region would take a bite of. And then it'd just be tripping balls on freedom. Uh, unfortunately, didn't quite work like that. And so, yes, now we're left with the big steaming turd burger that's degenerating into civil war, ethnic cleansing, and upwards of 100 deaths a day, both Iraqi and American. But that being said, we're always eternal optimists here on Punditocracy. It could work. Hey, we've in this room right in this little podcasting room right here. We have two of the greatest minds <laughs> in the realm well, of does, geopolitical that strategy. Does ask the question: Is there any kind of good plan to get out of Iraq? It's a damn good question. I hmm, I don't know. I tend to say not right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to leave it open for the future, but right now, no, we're fucked. <laughs> It's all rainbows and pixie dust here in Punditocracy, folks. Usually uh, I'm very optimistic about these sorts yeah. of things. Go USA. We can get it done with hard work, dedication, but uh, no. No, not, not this one. Not with the level of incompetence that has been exhibited in Iraq up to this point and the level no. of denial up to this point and not being able to admit that we've made a mistake or made any mistakes and not having changed course at all. No. Well, I think the the first key in solving um, and getting out of Iraq is going to be a change in leadership in Washington. Um, I don't think we're going to get anything solved so long as Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld are still in power. Absolutely not. Uh, I'm not saying that it needs to be a Democrat. I'm not saying it needs to be a Republican. It has to be somebody different. It has to be somebody that's going to come in with a vision for the future of Iraq. Because this administration cannot admit any mistakes. Right. And and even offering any sort of redeployment plan would be admitting a mistake. Right. So somebody needs to come in with a fresh plan and really go from there. I mean, there's really I – th- I think that even if you came out with a, a new plan, it would still realistically take yeah. probably several years to even get to the point where we may start considering withdrawal of troops. Yeah. Uh, there are no good options I right think now. that's that's number one for me. <laughs> change of leadership. Yeah, change of leadership is a must because I agree with you. There will be no change with this current administration. No, and they've they've said as much too. Yeah, I mean, in a press conference, what was it a couple of weeks ago, where uh, President Bush essentially said, "So long as I am president, we're still going to be there," which also was sort of implying that we're not going to change. Yep, because uh, I think they're clueless. I I think they had this initial plan and it failed, and they had no backup plan and. Now they're just essentially sitting there with their thumbs up their asses, not really knowing what to yeah, do. Yeah, basically writing Bush, out Bush's term. Right, and Bush knows that he's only got two more years, and he can write it out for two more years. And, you know, history will judge him however history judges him. He'll <laughs> and, be gone. And, and then, he and seems then it's to no honestly longer. be convinced. And he says that. That's his response, that history will be the judge of this. He's honestly convinced that what he's doing right now in Iraq will reap benefits like 50 years from now that we can't even fathom because well, he's such a far-sighted now, out leader. Of all, out of all fairness, it could. I mean, if Iraq works, not like I'm just I'm not saying that it's going to. <laughs> I'm just saying that 
it's not completely out of the question. I, at some I point, know. we could see Iraq. Well, yeah. In a hundred years, we might grow wings, <sighs> evolutionarily speaking, and be able to fly across the Atlantic using our miraculous appendages. That's possible, too. But I don't think President Bush is going to be responsible oh, for no, that. Oh, no, no, no. Of course not. Of course not. No, I don't. But <laughs> yeah. at the same time, it's, it's possible that 10, 20 years from now, we could see a functioning democracy in Iraq. It's... It's theoretic. Yeah. Uh, it but, could happen. But I think a meteor is probably going to strike our planet and kill us all before that. <laughs> well, maybe. But I don't know. There, and one of the charges against Democrats uh, who have been critics. Well, no, no. no, no hold on. The Democrats don't have a plan either. No, no. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. All right. And I'll agree with you that the leadership, uh, the Democratic quote-unquote leadership oh, quote unquote leadership. in the Senate right now, yes, has no specific plan because they don't of, want to be seen as soft on terrorism. No, they're a bunch of morons and pussies. However, you're, you're going to see it. I can guarantee you're going to see a change in that because of this national intelligence estimate, which has given them a lot of ammunition oh, to go bull, after Bush. It's oh, happening bull. now. Yeah, it's, it's happening now. They Harry Reid's gone after him. There are a lot of candidates around the country in local races who they, are going after Bush on pursuing a poorly planned and conceived war on terror. Oh, and they couldn't have done that two years ago. They couldn't have done well, that. Well, they absolutely two, should have, but, they, you know. They, they couldn't have done that in 2004. Hey, they're slow. <laughs> <laughs> they're pussies and morons. <laughs> Be that as it may. One of, these, one of the Iraq plans that is floating around right now and... Uh, oh, wait, 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 hold on. I know the Democrats' plan. Yes. Let's bring in the United Nations. <laughs> no. That'll solve everything. No, the United Nations can't even stop a genocide in Darfur that has uh, international support. Oh, no, but they'll, but they'll... But Gavin, they'll solve Iraq. You bring them in. Hey, oh, if you're, if you're using that line uh, against the Democrats, Bush is the one who went groveling to the United Nations for support <laughs> after he fucked things up in Iraq. Uh, but oh, anyway. I'm not saying he didn't. I'm, I'm just saying that it's... <laughs> but so, so John Kerry and, and some of the other uh, leading Democrats, or at least the ones that were running for president in 2004, seem to be sort of fixated on this whole idea of bringing in the United Nations and bringing in NATO and bringing yeah. in foreign... Forces that ain't gonna the do new, that ain't gonna do a goddamn no, thing to fix no. Iraq. No, and I and, and, if that, and if that is gonna be their ultimate plan to fix Iraq, it's not. That, it's not anymore. I, I would. Everyone, I would feel more comfortable with the Bush plan. Everyone's than that agreed. Plan. Every, everyone, including the Bush administration, agrees that's not going to help matters. Here's the plan that's been floating around. Uh, basically, Iraq is a fabricated country. Its borders were drawn up by France and England after uh, World War One, and it's really just due to some bureaucratic infighting between France and England. The borders that were drawn around Iraq were so poorly conceived because they put three ethnic groups within one country that all hate each other, <laughs> the Kurds, the Sunnis, and the Shiites. And so at this point, the only reason that the country had held together since those artificial boundaries were drawn up is because you had Sunni strongmen, a la Saddam Hussein, keeping the boundaries together through you know military dictatorships and Fair. iron fists and repressive regimes. Fair enough. Yeah. However, since we removed that, the, the lid's been ripped off on the sectarian violence between the Sunnis and the Shiites. Uh, the Kurds actually, a while back, already formed their own semi-autonomous state, Kurdistan, in the north of Iraq. So that's already happened. Now the plan is, and this 
probably isn't even going to be a coordinated plan. It's probably just going to happen on its own. <laughs> You're going to see the Sunnis and the Shiites break off into their own little autonomous regimes. And so in the south, you're going to have the uh, the Shiite regimes, which a lot of people are worried about because that's basically just going to be a puppet government for Iran to control. And then you're going to have the Sunnis in the center of what we now know as Iraq and then the Kurds uh, up top. North. And, you know, if you let that happen, I, again, whether you plan it or not, I think that's what's happening now. Um, I might agree with you on that. I mean, I think it's probably going to happen regardless, but... I don't think it dissolving into three regions is necessarily going to solve anything. I mean, first off, let's talk about the Kurds in the north. What the Kurds have envisioned for Kurdistan is not just northern Iraq. It goes into southern Turkey. It goes into Iran. It goes into, I believe, they need a little bit of Syria and Jordan. I'm not exactly yeah. sure what they're And Turkey their does not want uh, right. Kurdistan if, to become any more powerful. Well, and I think the general theory is, is that if the Kurds do form some sort of autonomous state in the north— that is going to just entice the Kurds in Turkey to rebel and want their independence. Same thing could possibly happen in Iran, and that could just lead to a whole new slew of problems. I think we also have to be realistic that if there are three different regions, three different states, let us not forget what happened in Yugoslavia when that broke up into various autonomous regions. With different ethnic groups. Yeah. I mean... And that's why... I mean, so... And, and that's pretty much... And this is mirroring what's happened in the former Yugoslav republics. Because right. uh, so Yugoslavia, again, was sort of a mishmashed uh, artificial country. And it was held together by... By Slavic and Strongman. That's right. Uh, Tito by communism. Yeah. And so once communism fell, then you had all these facts. You removed that strong man. Then you had all these factions warring right. against And then another. they warred each other. Then they got their own independent states. And then they just warred against each other more. Yes. But in fact, at that time, it was probably worse. There was even worse genocide, yeah. worse war. And we got drug into that as well. Yeah. I could see the same However, thing. we did not cause or start well, <laughs> the dissolution of Yugoslavia like of we did not. in Iraq. But I think the underlying point is is that if you create three different states, I'm not sure that that's going to really solve That's why it. we have They're to be, still be fighting. They're still going to be warring each other. We're still going to have to be there in one yeah, way or another. Yeah, and that's why we have to stay there. And again, since we broke it, Pottery Barn rules are we own it. So we have to diplomatically work with the surrounding regimes uh, in Turkey, in Iran, uh, in uh, Well, that's not going to happen. It, it'll happen because it's going to have to happen because you Iran Iran doesn't Iran doesn't want what's happening in Iraq oh, uh, sure any more than we do because they don't want any civil war spilling into their boundaries and I think that's the other, we have to redeploy the troops we have to take them to the uh, perimeter of Iraq uh, so that they can be redeployed if any more sectarian violence breaks out we have to get troops from the Arab nations to go in there for peacekeeping efforts. Well, that's not going to happen either. Well, or financial support, either one. I mean, it's in their best interest to prevent this from spreading into their fiefdoms because most of them are artificial countries with uh, militaristic strongmen as well, and they don't want to lose their power through uh, the (laughs) base of terrorism that's being formed in Iraq right now spreading its tentacles into their neighborhood. So I think if we – 
we can lessen the chance of an even bloodier civil war if we hasten along the autonomous countries, divvy up Iraq's oil into some agreeable – I mean it's not going to be easy again. There are no – there are no good solutions anymore. <laughs> We've gotten to the point now where there is no really beneficial outcome. No. Uh, we just have to find something that will stop the sectarian violence no, I, and prevent our troops from being killed. I just don't think that creating three separate countries I think Iraq it's, is going to do It's, it's going to happen anyway. I, I think it's just – well, I agree It's going to happen anyway, so we I might as well try you. to mediate it and help I agree with you that as it's probably peaceful an outcome as possible. I agree with you that it's probably going to happen anyway. I just don't think it's going to solve anything. In fact, I think that there is the potential that it's just going to make the violence in Iraq worse. I hate to throw this idea out, um, but <laughs> obviously we need much higher troop numbers in Iraq. I think that one happen. of – I think that one of one of the major mistakes we made in the initial invasion of Iraq was that we tried to do it on the cheap. We tried to do it with, I believe, 300,000 troops, whereas most military leaders were saying that we needed at least half a million, if not 700,000 troops, in order to really effectively go into Iraq and secure most of the towns and most of the regions. I think that we need that now. I think that there's a lot of uh, leaders on Capitol Hill and a lot of probably most leaders in the military are saying that we mean a much larger force. John McCain is one of the uh, one of the politicians that has really said since day one that we need more troops. We don't have the troops. Do, do we do we open up do we open up the discussion for a draft? <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. No, I mean I I'm mean, serious. No, and I'm serious too. If we had had that to begin with, we would not be in Iraq right now because if there was a draft and if military service was compulsory uh, the mothers and fathers of America's children politically would not have allowed the Bush administration to go into Iraq as it possibly. is possibly. I, I, no, but I mean, realistically, if you're going to if you're going to secure Iraq, if you're going to win militarily in Iraq, if you're going to defeat the terrorists in Iraq and the insurgents in Iraq, you need more troops. Nope, not going to happen. <laughs> but would you agree no political will? Would you agree with me that you need more troops? No. Realistically, to actually, win? I don't. Well, at the beginning, initially, I agree with you. Yeah, if well, I think if we got in too. there, if we actually, I, I believe not to create, we went in with 150,000 troops. Was that only 100? Yeah, it was 100, only 150,000. Oh, 300,000. And uh, it was recommended that we have 300,000 to 500,000 by General Eric Shinseki, and he got well, fired we, yeah, for suggesting that. <laughs> so yeah, uh, granted. Again, what ifs? If we had gone in with more troops, and if we'd gone in with a plan to secure the peace afterwards. This might not have been a horrific debacle like it is now. I don't think it really would have worked out either way, but there would be a lot less bloodshed if that had happened. As it stands now, I think more troops in Iraq would only exacerbate the problem. I think the troops we have there now are little more than targets for the insurgents and are doing next to nothing and are incapable of military militarily securing the country and securing the peace now. So I think we need to get out of there. I don't think we're doing any good staying in there except getting our people killed. That, that, and, I, and I think, that again, our, 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 our best strategy is to uh, redeploy, let them break into three autonomous regions, and hope for the best. <laughs> and reinvade a year later. <laughs> Why not? 
That's what especially you're if Jeb Bush, well, especially if Jeb Bush becomes president, oh, it's got to become it's got to become a family tradition with the Bushes invading Iraq every four years. If you pull out of Iraq now, you're just going to have to go back in. I think that's the reality of it. We have too much. There's too much well, interest that we have. There. No one's saying pull out, redeploy, so that we're we're in friendly countries. Like we can redeploy to Kurdistan, we can redeploy to Kuwait, and if something a la what happened in uh, Yugoslavia starts to break out, then we can intervene. But as it is now, what happened in Yugoslavia is happening right now, with or without the benefit of our troops. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't. But yeah. Uh, I, I you think, know I you see know, the sense in what you're saying, but I and you know I, I just don't know if it's I, I agree with you that it could that all go to so, shit either way. I, I think we are so bogged down right now yep. that it's just it's impossible to redeploy. I think we're, we're there. There's there's really nothing we can do as except as, except I, in my opinion, if you add more troops, may help. As and I do say may, I'm not. I know, I know. But I I, I, uh, I hearken back to Madeleine Albright, the esteemed former Secretary of State who spoke here in Lawrence last night when she says that Iraq will go down in history as the greatest foreign policy disaster that America has ever experienced. I, I, worse than Vietnam. The ramifications of which will be worse than Vietnam. And she I, knows a lot more about it than we do. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I tend to agree with that. I think it's still maybe a little too early to tell. I always try to stay optimistic about it. Maybe we'll finally turn the tide in Iraq at some point, possibly with new leadership two years from now. But at this point, yeah, it looks like, looks like it probably will go down as one of the worst foreign policy disasters in U.S. history. Although I think we can at least agree on one thing, Aaron. What is that? That it's all Bill Clinton's fault. Oh, of course. <laughs> if we were if we were Chris Wallace of Fox News, we would make that assertion and we would make it to his face while the cameras are rolling, which is uh, essentially the gist of what he did last week when he <laughs> interviewed Bill Clinton, Chris Wallace, for those who don't know, Fox News correspondent. And he's a slimy-looking little bastard, yeah, too. Chris Wallace. He's a smug, partisan hack, masquerading as a journalist. I mean, I don't know if people realize this. He's actually Mike Wallace's son. Oh, uh, really? 60 Minutes. Yeah, he's actually his son. Oh, I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm imagining that uh, Mike Wallace right now was wishing that he could get a retroactive vasectomy. Mm. And I, I wish those things did. Yeah, exist. probably. Uh, but yeah, uh, Chris Wallace of Fox News. Uh, snag maybe, an interview with Bill Clinton. Maybe we'll see him on 60 Minutes one of these days. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he's such a hard-hitting journalist. That's right. Um, but yeah, Bill Clinton recently had his uh, Clinton Initiative Summit in which he had world leaders and uh, various influential people from around the globe meet in New York. And he raised untold millions and billions of dollars to help fight uh, global poverty and global warming and basically just get a bunch of powerful people in one room and negotiate pledges to help stop your pet cause of choice. Right. And so Rupert Murdoch was actually one of the people that actually attended the Clinton summit 
Rupert Murdoch, who owns Fox News. Right. Go figure that out. Yeah. And one of uh, one of the agreements that uh, Murdoch and Clinton made was that if Murdoch made a pledge, I f- honestly forget which cause it was that he made the pledge to. I, although, weirdly enough, whatever the cause was, he teamed up with Barbara Streisand. Oh, really? <laughs> Rupert Murdoch uh, and Barbara Streisand. Maybe there's something going the on. The wackiest duet ever. Uh, but one of the agreements for Murdoch to make this pledge is that Clinton had go to agree to go on Fox, Fox News. and embarrass himself. Yes. Right. Well, the, 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 what Clinton was told was that half of the interview would be about his initiative summit. And then the rest of it would be whatever partisan questions Fox right, News right, would right. want to ask. And so Clinton goes to this interview with Chris Wallace. And the first thing out of Wallace's mouth is why didn't you do more to prevent September 11th? <laughs> and Clinton Went wigs ballistic. out. He wigs out. Biting so uh, his but, finger. Yeah. But he did it in such a way that only Bill Clinton could do because, you know, Bill Clinton's uh, political genius and he's, his mind operates on six or seven different levels. Right. And so he, he then spends the duration of, like, I, I believe for about five straight minutes, demolishing Wallace because uh, Clinton... After the path to 9-11 docudrama that ABC had heard, uh, the central premise of which was that Clinton was too distracted by Monica Gate to effectively combat Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda. And so these right-wing propaganda points have been put into the popular culture and we're trying to rewrite history. Right. The nonpartisan September the 9-11 commission widely uh, hailed as being nonpartisan and being very sober in their uh, analysis of what led to uh, September 11th. The September the 9/11 commission disagreed with the path to 9/11 docudrama and now you have Chris Wallace basically repeating the same accusation that right. you caused September 11th right. Bill Clinton. And Clinton snapped. <laughs> and there's a lot of debate as to whether he planned to do this. Because, you know, Republicans think – the same way that liberals think of Karl Rove, conservatives think of Bill Clinton. Ah. They think that he's that everything he does is calculated and designed for political gain in some way or another. I don't think so. I think that he was genuinely pissed off and he just had enough. And he lit into Chris Wallace saying that he had done everything that he could at the time and he agrees that he didn't do enough because he didn't capture or kill Osama bin Laden. He admits that. But unlike some conservatives or some presidents, Clinton was willing to admit he made a mistake in not capturing or killing Osama bin Laden, right. like George Bush has been so successful in doing uh, <laughs> these past five years. Uh, but, yeah, so Clinton just lights into Wallace uh, saying that, you know, he's been sandbagged and he like he sort of tears down the fourth wall of the interview and sort of destroys the facade of it, it's talking about why he was there and how the premise of the question is partisan and saying that uh, just to rebut that allegation that he only had actionable intelligence to get bin Laden once uh, when he launched missiles into Afghanistan no, think- and into Sudan. Okay. And... Uh, that they worked as hard as they could and they left a detailed terrorism plan for the Bush administration administration when he left office. Which they largely ignored. (laughs) Completely ignored. But yeah, so this interview happened and it's uh, pretty much changed the conversation in the political news. The Republicans in the Bush administration wanted this last week of Congress's session to be about 
the Democrats being weak on terrorism. That's why you have this showdown in the Senate right now about the terrorism legislation that Bush wants. This legislation is primarily to cover Bush's ass legally about torturing people, but it also has the added benefit of getting Democrats on the record of voting against an anti-terrorism bill. Right. But the narrative has been completely changed because of this Clinton interview in which you wonder of wonders, and it's the rarest sight ever you actually see a Democrat fighting back <laughs> like you did with Clinton. And Republicans are shocked by this. They didn't think it was possible anymore, so they've been taken aback by it. Democrats have been taken aback by it, too. But uh, I guess Bill Clinton's the only Democrat that will actually fight back. <laughs> That's why he's the big dog. That's right. But yeah, on top of on top of Clinton's interview and his very forceful rebuttal of the Bush administration's response, or not even response, he didn't go into the response. The Bush administration's preparations for 9/11, or the Bush administration's pre-9/11 attempts uh, to secure America against terrorism. Combine that with the national intelligence estimate, and it's been a bad week for Republicans and their talking points yes. on the war on terror. Uh, did you happen to see the interview? Um, I did not see the interview. I saw little bits and pieces of it, just kind of on Fox News. I, I saw that uh, Sean Hannity was all riled up about this. Of course, he was just sort of— But his hair was he, impeccable. He, yeah. No I mean, matter how just, riled up he gets— He was just— spewing out basically sort of the the normal right-wing Republican line that it was all Bill Clinton's fault and that September 11th wouldn't have happened if Bill Clinton had done his job. You know, I've, I've said this once. I've said it a thousand times. 9-11 happened because of a failure of government. You cannot blame one individual. You cannot blame one president. You cannot blame one agency. You can't blame anything. It was a failure of government as a whole. Everybody failed leading up to September 11th. And it, it's not just, I mean... It's not just Bill Clinton. Obviously, our current president didn't do enough to capture or kill Osama bin Laden. Goes back, <laughs> goes back to the first Bush administration that didn't do what it needed to do to combat terrorism. It goes back to the Reagan administration. I'm really kind of surprised that more people don't blame Reagan. I mean, this was the guy that openly supported and armed the Mujahideen in yeah. Afghanistan which in the 1980s, which spawned Osama bin Laden, exactly. He's also the one that gave weapons of mass destruction to Saddam Hussein. Yeah, not to be fair, Donald Rumsfeld did that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Working with the Reagan administration. I mean, you know, let's be fair. Did Clinton do enough? No, he didn't do enough. And there he were certain that. Steps, he there were that. certain steps that he could have taken. Out of all fairness, there was the wag the dog idea that Clinton was absolutely fearful of. And I think that if we go back and we remember what the press was saying about our missile strike in Afghanistan in 1998, Republicans on Capitol Hill largely condemned the attack, accused Bill Clinton of wagging the dog, of trying to distract the American public with a war that was not necessary, or and, a strike that was not What is the argument necessary. those same Republicans are using now, that right. he didn't do enough? Didn't do enough. And I think that the 9-11 Commission actually talks about this, and Bill Clinton is on record saying that he was scared to launch more attacks. He didn't think that there was any popular support in the United States for launching follow-up attacks against Afghanistan, or there were other countries on the list And there as was well. certainly no support in the Republican-led Congress. Yeah, there was absolutely no support in the Republican-led Congress for any of this. So you have to sort of take that into some context as well. I mean, I think there were plans for follow-up strikes. There were plans for, I, I believe that in the 9-11 Commission, there were actually plans for full-blown invasion of Afghanistan. Yeah. Should, you know, should there be the need. Should the shit go down. 
So, but I mean, let's also remember that George Tenet failed. Let's remember that <laughs> he failed in not one but two administrations. Yeah. Uh, let's <laughs> let's keep in mind that there was all the intelligence agencies at the time were not sharing information. They were not working together. There's a lot of people to blame for September 11th. Bill Clinton is one of them. Yeah, but Bill Clinton is not the only one. There yes. are many, many, many more. And I'll say it again, it was a failure of government. Yes, it was not a failure of one individual. It's like creamy jiff. There's enough to spread around. Exactly. At least now that Clinton has been caught on tape, very forcefully refuting these allegations, it's finally laying to rest this Republican attack point that September 11th was the Clinton administration's fault. Right. And I, I'm really still absolutely befuddled how people can blame Bill Clinton for it and somehow magically forget who was president for the nine months leading up, up to, to September, September 11th and on right. September 11th. Right. right. It's like those nine months, like Clinton's presidency extended those nine months. Yeah. And which, you know, for all intents and purposes, it was as much vacation time that George W. Bush was on in those yeah, nine I, months. He might as well have been. I, I find it amazing as well. I mean, I believe he's on vacation for six out of those nine months. <laughs> certainly, President Bush knew what the threat was in those nine months, yes. and they and they did absolutely nothing. Um, and the yeah. lies, the lies that come out of them about oh, we had no idea. That, oh, that such devious people would want to use airplanes in such a fashion. Apparently not remembering World War II and kamikaze <laughs> pilots. <laughs> this is not a new technique here. Uh, there was a lot of information leading up to September yeah. 11th. And, the, uh, and speaking of national intelligence estimates that are unflattering to the Bush administration, how about the one that was labeled Osama bin Laden determined to strike, strike. within the United yes. States? Yes. <laughs> that came out, I believe, in July of 2001. Yeah. Well, there was a lot of things that you know government could have done. I, one of the things that I really find fascinating is that they didn't go after the financial assets of al-Qaeda after – the 1998 embassy bombings. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was... And a lot of analysts have given the Bush administration credit for doing a good job on that, in, well, on and that front. I'm not saying that that would have prevented September 11th, but had you aggressively gone after the financial assets, all these charity groups, these mosques that funnel money in and out of the United States, in and out of these Arab countries, all to Osama bin Laden and al-Qaeda, could that have helped? Sure, it could have helped. There could have been more covert action against al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. I mean, they, the CIA could have been given greater powers to pursue these guys. And, you know, I, but... I should have bought stock in Google, but hey. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. I mean, these are things that could have happened that may or may not have prevented September 11th. We don't know. Yeah. So, But, again, I'd always like to end these segments on a note of agreement and concurrence between the two of us. Sure. And another point, just as we can agree that Iraq is all Bill Clinton's fault and September 11th is all Bill Clinton's fault, I think we we can also agree... No, actually, I don't agree with that. (laughs) You're spoiling the moment! Iraq... I blame Bush 1 for Iraq. Ooh! Reaching back! Yes, I do. But that'll be for another show. But again, 
this comedy that I'm looking for with hopefully some comedy right. thrown in. Right. I think that you and I can both agree that Virginia Senator George Allen <laughs> is one of the most racist motherfuckers on the face of the planet. Probably. <laughs> but he's still very well maybe our president in 2008. <laughs> In many Republicans' minds, even after all these re- revelations about his his past and his present, say, "Boy, you know what? I'd still like to have a beer with him." <laughs> but let's back up a little. President bit. Bush was actually at one of George Allen's fundraisers recently. Of course, sort of drumming him up, and this and a lot of people think that this will lead the way for George Allen to run because the well, Republican ticket in two thousand eight. Well, you know, and why? the big fear is is that you know if you rally up. The religious base, like they have done, 2004 and 2000. This this guy could be our next president. It's not going to happen. He's, I, I, you, I, know, I, I you know I'm predicting you know right now. I said I said in 1999. I said there's no way this George Bush character is going to. I know. I know. And you know what? I tell you is. what. If he wins his reelection for his Senate seat in Virginia in November, uh, that's not. That doesn't matter whether he, <laughs> he wins that or not. <laughs> Well, it does. No, it doesn't. He could lose that and still run for the Republican oh, yeah, in like, Republicans love losers. But again, let's. And I'll tell you the reason that Bush was cozying up to him at this fundraiser recently is because he's alienated a lot of his xenophobic, bigoted base by wanting <laughs> to provide a guest worker program for yes, Mexicans. Yes, yes. So he's got to he's got to saddle up with cowboy That's the two right. cowboy Georges. Allen and Bush, who were, uh, yeah, cowboys. Uh, George Allen was born in California and moved to Virginia when he was a kid. George W. Bush was born in Connecticut. Connecticut. Yes. Yeah, real rootin' tootin' silver <laughs> spoons in their mouths, cowboys. Yes. Uh, um, but anyway, besides the point. Well, no, I did, George... <laughs> My favorite George Allen little racist bit was. <laughs> and there's they were, so many. They, they were, <laughs> they were out deer hunting like good old country boys do. <laughs> this is and, when he's um, back in college. Yes, yeah, this is in buddies. college at uh, the University of Virginia, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, they're out with his frat boys. They're out hunting and they shoot a deer. And George Allen asks, "Where's the nearest Blackie's house?" <laughs> One of his friends says, "Right down the street." So what does George Allen do? He cuts off the head of the deer, and he takes it to the nearest Blackie's house, <laughs> and he stuffs it in their mailbox. <laughs> now, this is, no, see, this is not bullshit. No, this yeah, is what true. the guy did. This has been corroborated by two of his classmates now. Oh, and he didn't say Blackie. Either. Oh, yes. I, I was editing that. Yeah, he, and he said and you know what? Word. And I'm going to warn people right now, if, if, you're, if you're sensitive about this word, I'm, I'm going to use the word because I want people to get a full picture of the depth of this man's uh, racial psychosis. Uh, he's been on record for repeatedly using the word nigger when he was in college, in, even out of college. Uh, yeah, he wanted to find the nearest nigger house to stuff the d- severed deer head into there. He wanted to find the nearest nigger's house so he could <laughs> put a burning cross in their yard. <laughs> no, although you have to admire his ingenuity. Severed deer head? I mean, did he see The Godfather uh, recently? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, okay, and... Uh, I don't know. I don't think sane people want to cut off the head of a deer and stuff it into somebody's this mailbox. Not, this is not This is not what behavior. normal people do. No. However, the people of Virginia saw fit to first elect this man governor and then elect him as their senator. But did they... Out of all fairness to the Virginia voters, did they... 
Yeah. No, they probably no. didn't know this. I, w- I will tell you what they did know about Alan because this was uh, these these allegations have stemmed back to his run for governor. Okay. Well, before you say any of this, just bear in mind, listeners, this is Virginia we're talking. About. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I do apologize for those living in Virginia, not for our comments, I but don't. for living in Virginia. Yeah, I mean, we we live in Kansas, so I, I guess come we on. can't really yeah. this, talk this too is, much shit. This is Fred Phelps territory. <laughs> we know what we're talking about here. But, <laughs> yes, going way back in Alan's career, he had a Confederate flag hanging in his living room. Well, that's common knowledge. Yes. He also had a this noose. Is a, this is a Californian. Yeah, yeah. Californian. A transplant flag. to Virginia, uh, weirdly fixated on the Confederacy, had a Confederate flag up in his living room, had a noose hanging in his office for a long time. Oh, well, I have that. Well, when you look at this pattern of behavior, it's a bit more sinister, lynchings oh. and strange fruit and all of that. Uh, I guess my noose is just there. For yeah, me. it's just I because... Decoration, I because guess. Because earns the hanging judge. That's right. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. Continue. But, uh, yes, back to George Allen's questionable judgment when it comes to racial politics. Most recently, the Makaka comment, of course, Allen singled out a man of Indian descent who is a naturalized American citizen, pointed at him and said, welcome to America, Makaka. Makaka, it turns out, is a uh, North African French slur against brown people oh and the reason george allen would know this is because his mother is actually of french tunisian descent so so he's one of them and he's arabs yeah Yeah. well no no he's one of those uh colonialists who were exploiting the arabs which explains a lot of his behavior now and this administration's behavior in general (laughs) (laughs) so the macaque incident that blew up that that was like an internet sensation the video of that was all and by yeah by the way this this man's so intelligent he made the comment knowing that he was being videotaped in fact looked into the camera and said it macaque this is your your next president yeah Most recently, you think, you think I'm kidding? Yeah. Most recently, at a debate, uh, when questions were opened up to reporters, a reporter asked him if he had any Jewish ancestry, because he'd. Ooh, often, I have not heard this. Yes. No. This this one's the most recent one. He uh, a reporter asked him if he had any Jewish blood in his family. Mm-hmm. Not on its face a controversial question. Because he, even he in the past has talked about how his grandfather was in a concentration camp during World War II. That would just imply that you know his family has was. some Jewish ancestry. Okay. When he was asked this at this debate press conference, he exploded. He called that very question, the very notion that he had any Jewish blood, an aspersion. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. An aspersion being a slur on his good name. Hmm. And so, yes, uh, mortified and just very, very offensive that anyone would even deign to even suggest that he might be Jewish. Then he came out uh, two days later and said, oh, yeah, by the way, I am Jewish. (laughs) (laughs) But he claimed that he didn't know about it until the next day. He asked. He said he called up his mom. Hey, mom, do I have any Jewish blood? Yeah, as a matter of fact. Oh, oops, sorry. Yeah, Which your is grandfather was in a concentration yeah. camp. Yeah, so bullshit on that one. Yeah, and of course you have. Get this. I think this is bears repeating. While in college, often used the term nigger, 
which he now says is but doesn't a, everybody well and here's the here's the other thing is why he constantly makes it oh, worse. i'm sorry doesn't everybody in virginia <laughs> yeah. well he claims that he has never ever used that word ever in his life isn't that i mean you even, and me just use that word right now. i know so okay he's lying about that obviously <laughs> and and this severed deer head in the black uh, family's just, mailbox just creepy i know i mean that's like something a serial killer does <laughs> so george allen <laughs> doing the people of virginia proud yeah. uh so yeah after all these re- revelations and god knows what else he did too. oh actually i forgot about this one He's been photographed with a white supremacist group called the Council of Concerned Conservatives, oh. who, in their platform, say that one of their missions is to keep America racially pure. Oh. And so, yeah, he attended a fundraiser with them and proudly had his photo taken. Arm, arms around them. Great. And many of them were avowed former members of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, I see. Yeah. That's, uh, that's good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Georgia. He's making Trent Lott blush, this guy. <laughs> I mean, this guy is as racist as – actually, I I don't think there's anyone in the world more racist than George Allen. I'm really stumped right now. I can't think of any example of this sort of egregious, really psychotic forms of you, like, uh, deer-head-severing racism. I can't think of anything. You may be You may be right. The only thing I can think of that might come close, sickle cell anemia. That might be as racist as George Allen. Toby Keith may be as racist <laughs> as George Allen. <laughs> Uh, I'll give Toby the benefit of the doubt. He probably likes, he likes racist. he likes smoking weed with Willie, so he can't be all that bad. And mm-hmm. he he has a a, a great line of uh, wings and things restaurants. Oh, <laughs> you're right. I stand so, I mean, corrected. I stand corrected. Yes. Yeah. He, George Allen is uh, uh, something else. And and you know the sad thing is. Is if he's he's probably gonna win his reelection? Bill. I don't think he is. Uh, the after the Macaca comment, he dropped about ten points in the polls, and his don't his, ever his, underestimate. The I'm guns, not gods and gays voters. I'm out. not. I'm just saying that the people of Virginia. We've been joking about it, but the people of Virginia are not a backwards people. Oh, Alabama, Mississippi, eh. but Virginia, Kansas. Yeah. And yes, Kansas. But the people of Virginia are really sick of this, and they're sick of the stereotype of the South, and they're sick of these Republicans like Strom Thurmond, God, please don't rest his soul, uh, Trent Lott, and George Allen basically perpetuating the uh, notion that Southern, everyone from the South the is a bigoted, toothless, uh, Civil War reject. Uh, so George Allen's dropped in the polls. His opponent, Jim Webb, uh, who's who actually, I think is incompetent himself, isn't he? Ac- no, actually, Jim Webb used to be Secretary of the Navy in the Reagan administration. Really? Yeah, used to be a registered no, Republican. I thought that he had his own little con. He made some sort of comment as well, didn't he? He there is sort of, of racial. Sense. I can't remember what it was in the Democratic I, primary. He his campaign distributed a cartoon a flyer that some people thought was making fun of his Democratic opponent's uh, Jewish heritage. Oh, okay. Although, uh, and I believe he's apologized for that, and he claimed he had no knowledge of that. However, that's not cutting off a deer's head and stuffing it. Oh, no, no, I'm not suggesting it is, but (laughs) I I thought that he had some sort of controversy. That was the only only racial controversy he has, but that's been completely overshadowed by Macaca Deerhead Gate. Right, right. Uh, so yes, George Allen, I, I just, think, is going to lose in November. I, you know, 
I don't know. I, 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 know after, I grant you, never after, underestimate the... Uh, after 2000... The clan vote. After 2004, I just will... I don't know. I always, always truly believe... Always a grain of pessimism. That the Republicans will always win because... It's not necessarily that. They're the ones that come out and vote. It's the right-wing nutbags that will come out in droves to the polls. But and they will probably come out in droves in Virginia, and they will probably reelect George Allen. And let's not forget, too, George Allen still has presidential aspirations for 2008. Yes, yes. Let's, uh, let's keep that in mind. Him and Sam Brown back. That'd be a hell of a ticket right there. Although I don't know if George Allen would agree to be on the same ticket as a man with Brown in his name. Uh, probably. <laughs> Okay, but before we get too pessimistic, let's turn now to things that don't suck. Aaron, what doesn't suck this week? Well, this morning I watched this movie called uh, Enron, The Smart Guys in the Room. Smartest Guys in the Room. Now, I mean, this movie sucks in the sense that the context that the movie is about is horrible, but uh, the the documentary in and of itself is excellent. Very well And it really, really portrays... I think accurately what was going on in at Enron. I mean, it was just it's shocking. I mean, I always knew Enron was a fucked up scandal, but uh, now that I know what really happened, it's just it's yeah sickening the heartlessness of these people. Uh, uh, just I I mean, the cliche is that these corporate types are you know shallow and greedy, but you have no idea how much right. of a true is shallow and greedy to an extent i always thought yeah. but after watching this documentary um these these people are just they're oh, literally well. willing <laughs> to kill old women to For, make a yes, buck yes and, <laughs> and they they're quoted as saying yeah, that yeah they are quoted as saying <laughs> that and and one of the, one of the things in this documentary that they had was um, audio tapes of a lot of the Enron stock traders. During the California convers- energy crisis. The first one they had was uh, talking about the, uh, the, wild the wildfires, fires. and they were saying, burn, baby, burn. <laughs> and then they were talking about this poor old lady in uh, California. They're like, yeah, let I can't remember the exact yeah, but it was Old like, Grandma yeah, Betsy old grandma die without Betsy her air conditioning. without her air conditioning. That's right. It, it, it's just it's amazing what these people yeah. are doing. And Andy Fasto, the uh, CFO, who was really one of the main culprits, I guess, in this whole scandal, it's just amazing what he did. I mean, he set up all these sort of fake corporations that supposedly just only did business with Enron, and they would dump all of Enron's debt into these fake corporations, fake corporations that were traded on the New York Stock Exchange. (laughs) They dump all the debt into these fake corporations. Well, I guess they were really fake. I mean, I guess they, actually, they were just all Enron. Right. They were just all Enron. <laughs> they just shuffled the money around. They, right. Technically, they existed, I guess. They didn't really do anything no. except help it. They were just mailboxes in Antigua. Dumped all their debt so that Enron could claim, we're not $400 billion in no. debt or whatever it was. No. It's just a little subsidiary keep buying, company. Keep <laughs> buying our stock. And uh, nobody ever really figured out what Enron did no. <laughs> or how they made the, They're like an energy trader. Yeah, I still don't know what that means. No, I I don't know either. But there are some stock traders that I mean, who actually foresaw 
the collapse of Enron and got out, sold their stocks when it was high. Yeah, that and Asian dude. Yeah, and they are now that mysterious multi, Asian dude. Yeah, they are now multimillionaires, and they actually interview a couple of these people in this documentary. And some people were just saying, you know, we sold our stock when it was, you know, at a hundred or whatever, because we looked at the company and we looked at the financial figures and it didn't add up. And we figured that something was going to happen. So we're we didn't bother to tell anybody about it. Well, that's beside the point, right? <laughs> yeah. These are all business, man. I don't know if you heard about this study recently that talked about the propensity for cheating amongst college students. Yes. The, uh, the school where cheating was most rampant and was, in fact, almost openly encouraged business schools. No. Business students had no bones about cheating on tests. In fact, they said that they think it's a valuable skill for the business community. <laughs> so that's that gives you sort of an idea where these Enron types incubate and yeah. where that mind frame starts. It's just – I. I'm- just repeating myself, but get just listen to the audio tapes of these Enron stock traders. I mean, it is just it's sickening. amazing <laughs> the just cold heartedness of these people. I mean, it's just and it's all, shocking. Also, they can buy a summer Ferrari on top of the three. Well, they, they were making, I, and Enron was paying them millions of dollars, yeah. millions, yeah, to do what they were doing. They just really, really enjoyed pissing all over poor people. Just watching them just <laughs> suffer. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what got them up in the morning. That's what gives them erections because they're impotent little pricks. It's just openly <laughs> talking about yeah. how much they loved <laughs> making these people suffer. Well, okay, now before uh, again, it's, 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 the, the documentary was great. Oh yeah, it's it a just, fine documentary. It really made me just want to just vomit. In fact, I think I threw up a couple times in my mouth when I was watching that this documentary. That is a wonderful segue to the documentary that I would like oh, yes. <laughs> to name as my very, item that very doesn't suck. different from my Vomiting documentary is Jackass number two. Uh, for those who know me, it's no great surprise that I loved this film, <laughs> and I openly wept. I was laughing so hard in the theater when I saw this. This movie has every form of bodily fluid you can imagine. It features a lot of lewd acts with livestock. It features uh, self-mutilation. It features crabs and other venereal diseases. Oh, really? Yes, and it's one of the best gags in the movie, but uh, it involves pubes and glue, but I won't say any more. (laughs) But the movie's hilarious, and out of all of the films that I've seen in, like, the past two months in the theaters, in, like, the mainstream Hollywood theaters... This is by far the best film that I've seen. <laughs> it is the only film that well, is, that does not speak well. Yeah, I know that speaks it. about as much as the films that I've saw before, as much as this one. But this right. film, it, I mean, great, it's an acquired taste, granted. But I've not laughed so hard in a long time. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend that if you have the stomach and you don't mind seeing a man chug a beer with his asshole. I highly recommend that you see <laughs> Jackass Number Two. <laughs> <laughs> but on that note, I'll personally I'll wait till it comes out on DVD. <laughs> yes, with the extras, the uh, they had to censor some stuff in there because oh, it got no, they, too censored, foul. they they censored stuff on the uh, original Jackass yeah. movie too. Because yes. I have the DVD and uh, it's probably about an hour the of bonus material, yeah, outtakes that they couldn't put in the hard <laughs> version. <laughs> Just, oh. oh yes, it's going to be a long, hard wait until the DVD release. You know, I always thought that Steve-O would die before Steve-O. No, I think it's going to be Knoxville. 
You think so? I think out of because Stevo seems to be becoming a seen... pussy in his old age. Knoxville's turned mm. it into. I honestly, if you watch this movie, Knoxville's the one who does all of the danger, the really dangerous shit, and he's gleeful about it. I genuinely think he has a death wish. Yeah, maybe. Just like Steve Irwin. <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen Wild Boys? I have seen Wild Boys. And, and although Steve-O and yeah. uh, Pontius, Pontius is that his name? Pontius. Pontius. Pontius, Pontius do. And that, I mean, I'm really surprised they have not died yeah. at some point in the filming of Wild Boys. Yeah. I don't know if that show's still going on or not, Yeah, but if it is going to continue on, one of them will die. Yes, but if you have seen it, I will say that the stunts in Jackass number two take it to a whole other level from what you've already seen in Wild Boys or the oh, first I'm, Jackass movie. I'm sure it does. But it's great. I highly recommend it. Speaking of jackasses, we are such. I am Gavin, along with Aaron. And this has been Punditocracy. Please feel free to leave comments on the Lawrence.com page. Email us at poundingthepundit at yahoo.com. Bye bye. Yeah.